to Walk in the Truth podcast. How do we know where to find answers to the toughest questions in life? While the simplest answer is the Bible, where do we start this search and how do we discover this truth? Today, in this teaching podcast, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, takes a specific text of the Bible and helps us find truth for the life we're searching for. So glad you're with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to Mark chapter 10 today. Mark chapter 10. Jesus is in an incredible conversation with his disciples about the act of servanthood. So Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 41 today. I want to talk to you about a deeper view of serving. By the way, this Out of the Shadow series is uh, going to take place this week and next week. And then the following week, we'll be in uh, a new series called The Holy Spirit. So we'll be walking through John 14, 15, and 16, the three chapters of John where Jesus spends so much time introducing the work of the Holy Spirit and what that means to our lives. And so we're uh, coming to the conclusion of the Out of the Shadow, and we're getting ready to go into the series on the Holy Spirit. Please stand with me as we open up and read God's Word today, Mark chapter 10, verse 41. Now, I'll give you some background behind this text because... The background is important to understand what Jesus is doing and saying uh, for these disciples. The background is that Jesus is talking about going to the cross, and he's letting his disciples know it's going to be a very quick but brutal kind of encounter where he surrenders himself and he ends up dying on the cross, and even says he's going to rise again in three days. Well, it's really interesting that the disciples that are listening to this conversation have something in mind that's not quite in alignment with that. James and John are talking about where they're going to be when Jesus comes into his glory. And so they make the request of Jesus, can we sit on your right and left hand when you come into your glory? And I hope you can kind of catch the scenario, the context of this. Jesus is having a very somber conversation, and these disciples all of a sudden are thinking about themselves, where we sit when you are in your glory. And that's where it picks up in verse 41 of Mark chapter 10. Hearing this, that is, hearing what James and John said, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John, calling them to himself. Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your words today that comes from the Bible. Father, I pray for this conversation Jesus is having with James and John to be clear to us, to convict us, to lead, direct us, And Father, more than anything else, that we can walk away with this brilliant, powerful example of what it means to serve one another that we see in the life of Jesus, Lord. Help us to walk away with that. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated if you would. You know, not long ago, the uh, the 9-11 commemoration shows uh, took place, and I happened to catch one of those. As you know, 9-11 was when the terrorist attacks on New York City and other areas of the United States happened, and the Twin Towers of uh, the World Trade Center both came down during those attacks. This particular show I was watching was talking about 
the first responders that made it to the scene, firemen and other emergency personnel, they had to make the decision as they looked at the Twin Towers already on fire and people already obviously perishing as to whether they would go inside and go up all those floors, up to 80, 90 floors in order to try to rescue those that were above that floor line. And the immediate, quick, willing decision that each one of them made to say, yes, I'll go in there and I'll do my best. I'll give my life if necessary to find those that can be found and to bring them to safety. And I thought it was an incredible moment where this decision-making had to take place on the spur of the moment, unprepared in every way, but willing for people to say, I'll go, I'll give my life. You may know that 343 first responders died in the Twin Towers when they came down, all of them attempting to rescue people they did not know and had no other connection with other than the fact that they were human beings in need. I look at that and I think, what an incredible picture of servanthood. What an amazing historical record of someone that have given their lives to reach other people. And then I pause and I ask myself, have we lost the art of servanthood? Have we lost the, the joy or even the willingness to say, I'll do whatever I need to do to serve someone else? Maybe not that extreme of a need is before you, but have we lost the art of stopping long enough in our pursuit from getting point to, from point A to point B and seeing the need around us and meeting that need? James and John had missed that point in their conversation that we just read about a few moments ago. And in Jesus' response to them, we have this powerful picture of servanthood. How to go deeper when it comes to serving others. What does it mean to have a life of servanthood? That's what Jesus is going to answer for us today as we look at Mark chapter 10. I want to bring out three things about this text that are really important. First of all, the warning that Jesus gives, what I call the great deception that sometimes happens when we think we're serving Jesus. And that great deception is revealed in what the request was that James and John had. Go back to verse 37, if you would, and look at what happened in this request. James and John come to Jesus after Jesus gives them this background. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to die. He's about to sacrifice his life. And they said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left hand in your glory. Now, if you've, got, uh, if you've got the chance to go back to the book of Matthew and see the parallel passage, the mother of James and John is making that same request. So here are the 12 disciples along with a lot of others there, and the mom of James and John are, are, are egging this on. They're all urging this question to come to Jesus. And the request is, can you make my boys to be able to sit on the right hand and the left hand of you, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And the disciples themselves, these two, James and John, were saying, I want to be in that place of recognition when you come into your kingdom. You know, there's a few places in the Bible where a request is made of Jesus, and the line is, when you come into your kingdom. And one of those is, when Jesus died on the cross, the two thieves on either side, remember the one ignored Jesus or mocked Jesus. The other, though, said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. A, a humble request, a request that says, all I want to do, all I want to do is know that I can be with you in eternity. But James and John are not in that set of mind. In fact, James and John are in that mindset that says, listen, I've got ambition for what happens on the other side of whatever you go through, Jesus. I want to find a place of honor, not a place of humility, but I'm going for greatness in the kingdom of God. 
There's no other way to translate, no other way to interpret what James and John's response is except let's see what Jesus can do for us on the other side of whatever he's going to go through. And that's the opposite of servanthood. And I think that's why this conversation is recorded for us. So we can see what happens on one side when, when, when human nature takes over, and then we can see what happens on the other side when we really have our minds on the great servant, Jesus Christ. So I want to look for just a moment at this great deception that's happening in this conversation. By the way, whenever blind ambition happens, whenever uh, personal ambition is rising up into our heart, whenever we want honor instead of willingness to serve, we see blindness and we see division and we see all kinds of arrogance taking place. I want to point that out to you for just a few moments. First of all, ambition for honor is blind. Now, I want you to go back with me to verses 32, 33, and 34. Let's look at that for a second. It says this. It says, They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed him were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. So this is a conversation with Jesus and the disciples, saying, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. This is a painful kind of conversation, a shocking conversation for disciples who weren't fully aware that Jesus was going to go through this time of suffering and an eventual brutal sacrifice on the cross. They weren't in touch with all that. But he was telling them, here's what's ahead of me. Here's what I'm going to go through on your behalf. Here's all that I'm going to experience in the days ahead. Now, if you can catch the contrast here, after hearing all that, they are saying, What's our role? What's in it for me? Can you go ahead and promote us before you get there? Because we want to sit on the right hand and the left hand. I can almost see James and John saying, I've served you for three years. We've we've been following you for three years. We've left everything for three years. What are you going to do from us? Blind to what Jesus was saying, eyes only on themselves. We're seeing a picture of the opposite of servanthood. Ambition for honor is also divisive. It's it's easy for us to see in verse 41, hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant. Now, I can't think of anything that would destroy team dynamics more than that kind of request when you've got 12 disciples and two of them are saying, we want the places of honor. We want the title. We want to be able to sit on the right hand and the left hand. We want to be your favorite. And the Bible actually says the rest of the 10 were grieved and they were growing more resentful by the moment. Present tense says they were just growing increasingly indignant. I think you can learn a lot about team dynamics here. You can learn a lot about organizational morale for that. Here's Jesus, the perfect leader, but the moment we begin to have our eyes on ourselves, all that harmony and all that that unity begins to fall apart. It's divisive. It's also arrogant. Notice what Jesus says in response to them in verse 42. You know that those who are recognized as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them but it's not to be among you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know what you're doing. You're looking at the leadership model of the world. You're looking at how the Gentiles do things, and you're thinking that the way I do things in the kingdom and the way the world does things 
in this organization are going to be the same. And you're wanting that position of authority. You're saying, I want to leave this pack. But I'm telling you, God's got a bigger vision than you have for his kingdom. And it doesn't involve you being on the right hand or on the left hand. I want to warn you today that no matter who you are, no matter what group you're a part of, blind ambition can destroy relationships and morale in families, in friendships, in marriages, in organizations, in the church. Anytime human ambition rises up, it cancels out anything God might be doing at that moment. James has an even more blunt way of saying it in the book of James, James chapter 3, verse 16. I've always been astounded by the brutality of some of James's words, and you see them here. He says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. James doesn't say there's a little bit of evil going on when all this is happening. No, he says there's every evil thing. You open the door to all kinds of, of, of horrific kind of things whenever blind ambition is happening. So we all know what's happening. The disciples are looking at the model of the world and thinking that's what it's going to be like. We're going to be able to have honor and authority instead of being servants. So in the background of that great delusion, Jesus gives an incredibly great call. And that's really what this heart of this text is all about, the great call to serve Jesus. Look in verses 43 and verse 44. And instead of a desire for honor, Jesus elevates and teaches the desire for serving. The desire for ambition means that we want to be seen in the, as great in the eyes of others or great in our own eyes. We want to have that kind of esteem to have that kind of position, but greatness in the kingdom of God is not like that at all. Jesus is steering the disciples towards greatness in the eyes of God. Do you know where I get that term, greatness in the eyes of God? I get that term from the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was one of those men that stood out in such a, a huge way as being a pure servant. He was a man filled with the Holy Spirit from early, early on. He was a man that had one job, and that job was to point to Jesus Christ, to point out that this was the Messiah, the Lamb of God. The Bible tells us that John's main statement that he made over and over is, I must decrease and he must increase. And in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11, Jesus comments on John the Baptist as he's about to die. Uh, Jesus' comment about this man, John the Baptist, is this one. It is, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And yet one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The disciples knew what that meant. They knew that John the Baptist was great in the eyes of God. They knew that Jesus wanted them to be the same way. But Jesus gives them this divine call that lets them be what he really calls all of us to be. I want you to see it in two lines in verse 43 and 34. First of all, he said, Whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. Now that word servant is a word that we want to pay attention to for just a few moments. It means that one who serves. It's really our word for deacon. See the word deacon translated in the New Testament? It is that word diakonos. And basically it means one who renders an act of service. Someone is serving someone else. And so Jesus 
is pointing to the disciples and saying, now, it's not the position of leadership I want you to be concerned about, but I want you to be concerned about the opportunity to serve other people in my name. I want you to elevate that above the elevation of your own ambition and your own desires and your own wish to be recognized. What I want you to do is lower yourself, and I want you to learn to do acts of service towards other people in my name. Do you remember that great story Jesus told about the Good Samaritan? You know, it was a story that he told after the conversation about the greatest commandment. The lawyers come to him and say, Lord, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Mark adds, and all your strength. And the second is likened to it that you love your neighbor as yourself. In one of the Gospels, The question comes back, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, the story of the Good Samaritan is all about meeting the need of a person that is a stranger to you. You don't know them. They're not in your life. Uh, Two people walked by and left him on the roadside after he he had been beaten and been left almost for dead. And the third one, the Samaritan, comes along and helps him. He picks him up. He does his best to fix him up. He takes him and takes care of him at inn and says, there's going to be money ahead of you. If you keep taking care of him, I'm coming back through. So he takes care of his immediate need, his future need. All these are acts of service. All these in answer to, who is my neighbor and how do I love my neighbor? So Jesus tells that story that helps us understand what an act of service looks like. And at the end of that, he says, you go and do likewise. I love that little line at the end of the Good Samaritan, go and do likewise. This is not just a fancy story. This is not just some neat little novel that I'm making up. This is not just some example I'm telling you about. This is how you're supposed to live. You're supposed to live looking at people and seeing what needs they may have and how you might be able to meet that need in the name of Jesus Christ. So in essence, Jesus is saying at this point to his disciples in Mark chapter 10, however you're going to stand out, stand out as one who is willing to serve other people. Lead the way in serving and meeting needs and render service all along the way. There's so many ways that we can do that day in and day out. So many ways on a day-by-day basis, we not looking just at ourselves, but looking at the need others have. It means being aware of those around me who need someone to help them, someone to encourage them, someone to point them to resources. It means my main ambition can't be just to get from point A to point B on my journey through that particular day or on my journey through life. It means being aware of everyone around me. After all, the Good Samaritan was on his way and was on a journey and had to stop and look at the man that was beaten and left at the roadside. And Jesus says, you do that same thing. Whatever you do, do the same thing. So Jesus' great call begins with being willing to be a servant to those around you. So you should render service. Render service. But digging deeper, Jesus makes another statement. And that statement takes us even deeper into the life of servanthood, even more than rendering an act of servant. Be a servant. Be a servant. Look at verse 44. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Now, a slave is someone who's bound to serve. Now, the word has a bad connotation in every era. 
So Jesus is actually using a word with a bad connotation in that era as well as this era, and he is giving a radical picture of what it means to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, be a slave to all. Servants were bound to serve their master, and Jesus gives us very much a permanent picture of servanthood on our life. It's not just a matter of looking around every once in a while. You are bound to serve. You know, early in the morning, I often get outside my house, and I look up into the skies, and today was a beautiful day. 66 degrees this morning. Yes, you heard me right. 66 degrees this morning. Somebody say amen. amen. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad for the weather change every once in a while? 66 degrees. I mean, it's almost Christmas, so it's about time, right? <laughs> but not only was it nice and cool, but, man, the skies were clear, crystal clear. A few clouds floating by, but, man, I could see the stars. I could see the stars. And along about 6.15 or so, sitting on my front porch, I could watch that sun come up, and I could see all of glory for a moment, worshiping the Lord. Did it ever occur to you that the sun, the moon, the stars, the clouds, and everything God has created exists to serve our Creator? Amen. You want a good picture of servanthood? Look at everything God created and put in the heavens. I mean, how faithful does the sun come up? How faithfully the clouds move across the sky, the stars out to point our way. They do everything they were designed to do because their creator has asked them to do it. And as I've said before, human beings are the only ones that really argue with God about their purpose in life. But we're called to be servants of the Most High God. To be as faithful in serving as the sun is in coming up every day, as the stars are in making their track across the sky. We're called to be a servant for the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying to the disciples, live your life this way. See yourself as a servant. They were really quickly trying to see themselves as leaders, but he says, no, no, I want you to see yourself as a servant. Now, next week we'll get into leadership because we'll talk about what it means to, to take a deeper dive into leading. But, but I'm going to tell you today what I'm going to say next week. That means you still need to come back and find out what it means. But here's what I'm going to say next week, that serving well is leading well, and leading well is serving well. They're practically synonymous. That's right. Amen. So here's Jesus saying to the disciples who later became very much the pillars of the New Testament church. I want you, before I put you in a position to lead, to learn to follow and learn to serve well. No leader can lead well if he has not learned to follow well until he's learned to serve well. So you should render servants, but even more than that, you should be a servant. Serve me by serving others, Jesus is saying. And by the way, as you think about what it means to serve one another, and as you think about what it means to love one another, these two are hand in hand. To love one another is to serve one another. You literally cannot love someone without serving them. The word for agape, the word love in the New Testament is not a feeling word. It's not an emotion word. It's not a word that means I get anything in return. It's a word that says I'm going to do whatever I need to do for their betterment. So to love one another is to serve one another. And when you read the rest of the New Testament, there's no doubt that this conversation in Mark chapter 10 has impacted the disciples. This and many others that Jesus had in the way of conversations about servanthood have impacted them. 
For example, I, I look in the book of First Peter chapter 4. The apostle Peter said, As each one of you has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whatever gift you have, whatever uh, passion you have, whatever opportunity you have, you serve one another as someone who's been given the grace to do that by God. Or Paul says it really well in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, talking about being free from sin. He said, you're called to freedom, brethren, but don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Paul gets it. Peter gets it. Why don't we get it? Why didn't James and John get that the opportunity we have is to serve one another? Now, I see service going on all around me. I mean, I don't know if you realize this, but it takes hundreds of people to serve the Lord every single week in a church like ours, and they are serving all over the place. Many of you in this room are serving in one way or another. It's powerful to see people step up and say, you know, I'm here. I want to serve someone. I want to help meet the need of someone. I want to answer questions. I want to lead people to the place where they can hear the gospel of Jesus or get connected to somebody else in the church. I want to work with children or preschool or student ministry. I want to work with adults. I want to do something for the kingdom of God. I've been saved by Jesus. I want to serve Jesus, and I'd love to watch that unfold. Literally, we all have that opportunity. Others say, you know, I have a certain vocation, and I want that vocation or whatever I am able to do through that vocation to help further the kingdom of God. We recently went through a rebuilding process of our buildings, and it was astounding for me to see different people of different professions and background in the building industry, in the banking industry, and in the, in the financial wisdom industry step up and help us see something great happen here through the willingness to serve for that particular project here, the Generations Project in our church. I'm just astounded by that. And the truth is, that when people have connected with us and done that, they walk away saying, man, it blessed me to be a part of something like that. Yes. That's what it means to serve. It means to help advance the cause of those around you and advance the cause of the gospel in your area of concentration in some way. Serving really makes a difference. Amen. That's why Jesus wants us to serve. Besides that, serving others is providing goodwill and is contagious. Have you ever noticed when someone serves you with a smile and they yeah. encourage you and help you in some way, it's actually contagious. You, you wipe the frown off your face and you want to help somebody else, right? Just one word that describes that, Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Anybody in the room not know what a Chick-fil-A is? Most of you know what a Chick-fil-A is. Somehow Chick-fil-A has managed to train their people to serve with gratitude. Serve with gratitude. And they even have three words they use at the end of that. You know what those three words are? At the end of their service, you get your food, you pay the money. They say, it's my pleasure. My pleasure, right? And you hear that at every single one of them. Did you know that, that in Chick-fil-A restaurants, and I'm not trying to advocate where you're going to eat today because they're closed today. <laughs> you cannot be a franchisee unless you work in the store. You can't be a remote owner. You can't just own a Chick-fil-A. You have to put your blood, sweat, and tears into that. You have, to, you have to put your hands to the top. In other words, you have to serve your clientele, your customers. 
You wonder why it's so successful? That may be why it's so successful. It uses a little bit of Jesus' leadership model. And that leadership model is, we're in this for the long haul for you. And it's so important for us to learn to serve that we need to be asking questions of ourselves. How can we treat people today in a way that reflects Christ, in a way that's encouraging, in a way that makes them want to know him more? How can we do that? Let's do it that way. Let's do it that way. Last, last week I shared with you some statistics about uh, those that have left the church over the years and those that have left the faith after they've left the church. And, and for many of them, whether we believe that that survey is completely valid or not, for many of them, how the church treats their friends was a big reason why they left. In other words, where they saw instead of kindness, instead of friendliness, instead of a smile, there was a, a judgmentalism about it. That's when they said, I'm going to distance myself from the church and I'm going to distance my friend from the church. The argument wasn't about what, whether something was morally right or wrong or whether the Bible was true or not. It was the attitude through which it was conveyed. Servanthood doesn't have to be mean. Servanthood doesn't have to have a frown on its face. Servanthood doesn't have to say, I told you so. Servanthood doesn't have to play the part of the Holy Spirit in someone's lives, and I absolutely believe there's absolute truth, and the Holy Spirit absolutely convicts. But we are to represent Jesus well by serving other people in that kind of a heart. Towards the end of uh, Jesus' earthly ministry, before he went to the cross, he gathered his disciples again for another one of these conversations. And this conversation is recorded in Matthew chapter 25. He's actually going into a future conversation that will be held in heaven. And in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says this to his disciples before he goes to the cross. I'm just going to read some verses to you. It won't be on the screen, but Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Now that's the conversation the disciples are having as well and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on one side and the goats on the left then the king will say to those on his right to the sheep come you who are blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world and then here it is for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Can you imagine the disciples, some of them having just argued about wanting to be on the right hand and left hand? But most of them not really thinking about servanthood yet still. Can you imagine those disciples being perplexed by why Jesus was bringing this up? And so one of them actually articulates their thoughts, Lord, when did we do that to you? When did we bring you something to eat? When did we bring you water? When did we bring you clothing? When was all this? And Jesus responded, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. 
In other words, serving is not an end in itself. I am the end to which you are to serve. That when you serve someone else, an act of service, when you consider yourself to be one who has a life of servanthood, you're doing it to me. You're doing it for me. You're representing me on this earth. And when we do this, we serve Jesus by representing him to people. Wow. We've got a big job. And that big job is not sitting on the right hand and the left hand. The big job is being out there where people are representing Jesus well with people. And then Jesus gives us the great example. See, this passage in Mark chapter 10 comes around to one of the greatest statements in the Bible that we quote all the time. But I want you to see why Jesus said what he said here in verse 45. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I'm going to paraphrase what I, I believe Jesus is saying to these disciples, but this is my paraphrase. You've been watching me serve others for three years. You're convinced that I'm the Messiah and the coming King. Over and over, you've seen me put others first. I've served the lowest and the most lost. I've been getting my hands dirty to help others. I'm telling you memorable stories about sacrifice and service. Now, the day before I die, I'm going to get on my hands and knees, and I'm going to wash your feet, and then I'm going to get on the cross, and I'm going to wash your heart. I'm the example of what a servant is. Serve people like I've served you. That's what Jesus is saying. Even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And then that last line, man, that last line is the exclamation point. Yes. Every act of service that's ever been rendered, the greatest act of service that could ever possibly have been rendered to the most undeserving of us all. And it says this, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, we know what the word ransom means. The idea behind ransom is a substitute. Jesus used this word for a very real purpose. And that substitution demands that it be provided before we be released. Ransom is one of the ways and one of the many pictures that salvation is explained in the New Testament. It means the buying back of people who are in bondage otherwise. Or they may be in prison, but the ransom is given The price is paid and they're released. And we're familiar with the idea of ransom because of kidnappings that we read about in the news or or years ago, uh, hijackings, skyjackings that we've heard of of in the past where ransom dollars were required. Anybody remember the name J. Paul Getty? That, That phrase, that name, some of you remember that? That name was a prominent in 1975 when I was a kid. A teenage grandson of J. Paul Getty was actually kidnapped and held for $3 million ransom. And the kidnapper said, we're going we're to take his life if you don't provide the ransom money. And actually cut off his ear and mailed it to a newspaper to help them know how serious they really were. Provide the ransom or you'll never see the release of this young man. And I remember seeing the headlines once that ransom money was paid and that boy was actually released and we were all celebrating it was one of those things that everybody kind of stopped and watched as it unfolded back when I was a teenager that idea of ransom is what Jesus is bringing up and applying to us and here's what he's saying 
Mankind is in bondage. Mankind is locked up into sin. All of us held by the grips of sin and Satan. And I'm going to give my life as a payment for, as a ransom for sin and Satan's bondage that he has us in. And you're only going to be set free when I give my life for you. And the price of that ransom, it was the entire life, the physical life of the sinless Son of God. Man, what a picture. What a picture of servanthood. Jesus said, I'm going to give everything I have so that you might be set free. Like the ultimate first responder, Jesus went to the cross knowing that his act on the cross would be of self-sacrifice and he would bear the sins of all mankind on his shoulders for us. How can we forget that act of service? Every time I think about my salvation, I think about how unworthy I was to accept the gift of eternal life or to be forgiven for my sin. I I think about uh, how uh, not only unworthy but undeserving and I couldn't possibly pay it back. I realized how far I was from God. I mean, every one of us that have come to faith in Jesus Christ understand that there's no way we could save ourselves. No amount of religion, no amount of doing good, no amount of changing in our life can make us righteous enough for a holy God. But Jesus gave his whole life so that we might be made right with God. So having had that happen to us as believers in Jesus Christ should powerfully impress upon us our call to serve others in his name. He saved me so I serve him. He saved you, so you serve him. Just before Jesus went to the cross, now moments before he goes to the cross, he's washed the disciples' feet. They've had the Passover meal. And he greets them in that upper room for the Passover meal, and he's talking to them about servanthood one more time. I mean, he was always talking about servanthood. But that's one last time he leaves this indelible impression upon them with this line. He said, but I am among you as one who serves. And then he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then he went to the cross. Is there any doubt about what Jesus is calling us to do? (laughs) To serve him and to serve others as we serve him. In just a few moments, I'm going to give an invitation to you. One of those is to come to Christ to secure the freedom that he paid for, for you to have. We have decision stations at the back of the room. And the reason we have those decision stations is because we would love to have a conversation with you about whether you know for sure that you have eternal life or not. Now, sometimes people attend church and they say, you know, I don't really know if I've ever been at that moment in my life where I have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior or I have some doubts about whether I've ever been there. And maybe somebody came in today and said, you know, I just never really have ever had anybody encourage me to put my faith and trust in Christ. But we're going to encourage you to do that today. Jesus paid the ransom, the price for your sin, so that you might be set free. Accepting Jesus accepts the freedom that his ransom secures for you. It's a simple act of asking him to be your Lord and Savior, forgiving you of your sins and giving you the gift of eternal life. We'd like to have that conversation with you at our decision station. That is the first decision and the first invitation I give you. The second one is this. I encourage you to come to our guest reception center just outside the center exit doors and across the hallway. I'd love to tell you more about Cross City Church and about the things ahead for our church. Love to visit with you personally. 
The third invite is I invite you to reach out to somebody else and bring them with you as you come to worship and gather with God's family next week as we look at leadership and what servanthood and leadership have to do with each other. Would you stand with me as we close this day in prayer? Father, I want to thank you today that you are the ultimate service through Jesus Christ the Son. You gave your son's life on the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing that for us. Thank you for paying the price, the ransom for our sin. Father, I pray today that you would help us understand to grasp this, this meaning of servanthood, this life you've called us to. And Father, help us know what that means in our life, what kind of adjustments we need to make, what kind of opportunities we need to look for. And Lord, for every one of us, it's the same call but has different applications. You use us everywhere. And Father, we have this gratitude in our heart that you secured eternal life for us. We have a home in heaven for us after we die. And Lord, we want to serve you while we're here. Help us to do that well. Thank you so much for this congregation today. Help us to go out to serve you well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.